Hello, and welcome to another episode of To Be Perfectly Honest. As always, I'm your host, Corey. And I'm Anel. And today we're talking about Game of Thrones, Season 1, Episode 10, Fire and Blood. And those are some Targaryen words. Am I right, Anel? You're right, 100%. Now, Anel, this episode, I didn't think it was possible, but I think we might have topped nine. Um, Definitely up there with nine, and it even seemed like they kind of continued right, right where nine left off. You see the blood dripping off of the sword, and you are watching as the reaction kind of goes across the crowd for Ned's execution. Oh, yeah, they even prop up that fake head and they're like swinging it around like oh god unceremoniously flying blood everywhere Sansa's like oh I'm out of here oh yeah she like yeah she dropped that girl dropped but what about the blood was that not the snottiest looking blood to you there's pieces of hair in it (laughs) I didn't even see that it's disgusting it's so gross yeah no this episode was amazing you know I think you had a really good point they definitely you know we had all this crazy tension build up and then we have Ned's head cut off in the last episode. And then it's like, where are we going to go from here? And this is just the greatest bow you could put on the end of that episode. We had, you know, our kind of climax and then we get this great cliffhanger at the very end. We got dragons. We got dragons, bitch. Yeah, we got them for about five seconds and then next season. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, so this one has a lot going on in it, so let's break it down really quick, and let's jump into the uh, crazy amount of questions that I have, and um, let's get into it. All right, let's go. In King's Landing, Ned's head's been chopped off. Euron from the North, who is here for the Night's Watch gathering recruits, finds Arya and takes her under his watch. He cuts her hair and has her talk like a boy, and reminds her that they have to get out and that no one can notice or she's going to die. Sansa tries to grasp her new reality and realizes that Joffrey is a fucking monster. Cersei finds out that Jaime's been captured and she decides, eh, I'll just hump Lancel, you know, my cousin. Bran, back in Winterfell, brings Asha with him into the crypts. He had a strange dream and they go down to the crypts and discover that Rickon had the same dream as well. Back in Winterfell, Bran has a dream and brings Asha with him into the crypts of Winterfell. They discover that Rickon is also in the crypts, and that's not the only coincidence. They had the same dream as well. Maester Lewin gets a raven scroll, and it's announcing Ned's execution. In the Riverlands, Rob and Catelyn find out about Ned, and they agree that they have to kill all the Lannisters, but only after they get Sansa and Arya safe. Rob's bannermen declare him the king of the north, while they certainly would not follow Joffrey because he's a little shit. Tywin is concerned with the fact that the Starks have captured Jaime, paired with the news that Joffrey has executed Ned and is kind of out of control, and he decides that the war will be a long one and needs to stay in the field. So in his absence, he sends Tyrion to be the Hand of the King. Back at the Wall, news of Ned's execution arrives, which makes Jon decide to desert. However, Jon's brothers of the Night's Watch follow him and convince him to return. In the Red Waste, Danny wakes up and finds out that Rago has died, and her husband is nothing more than a vegetable. And Mary Mazduel tells Danny that this is payback for raping me three times. Danny says, You think that's payback? Hold on a second. Let me tie you this funeral pyre. Light you up. See how loud you can scream. She ignites the wood funeral pyre and she jumps in along with Mary Mazduel. And everybody's like, Okay, well, I want to take a nap. And they wake up. Three fucking dragons, bitch. Boom. Okay, so this was a lot to unpack. You know, Anel, I want to start kind of unusually, and I want to talk about this last scene that we just described. Let's go over the whole scene with Danny, the dragons, Carl Drogo, Mermaz Duel. Let's unpack this because this is intense. So we start out and we have Danny waking up, and she is like, What's going on? I need a real big glass of water, is what I feel like she wants. She's like, what happened to my baby? And, you know, we have Jorah is like, eh, don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Mary Mazdul comes out and she's like, he looked like a dragon. And he had scales and wings and his, his skin fell off his bone. Do you think this has really happened? Who knows? Do you like how Jorah is literally like, eh, no, maybe. <laughs> I want to see that baby. Yeah. You know what I, know. I mean? Like, show me, show me the baby. Show me that baby. Take me to Maury. I need a paternity test. I want to know if <laughs> Maury, where is this baby? Is that dragon a baby? Is that baby a dragon? <laughs> Answer is yes. Um, so do you think that this is to the sacrifice? Like it? it's literally that? Or do you think it was just, it wasn't meant to be anyways? I think that 
Danny having this baby in it looking like a dragon, if it if it indeed looked like a dragon. I don't know if uh, Khal Drogo had anything to do with it. Shouldn't it be like yeah. a dragon and a horse? I didn't hear any kind of horse like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has a huge ponytail then when it comes out. Doesn't say anything about that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> no, but um, I, who knows if it was like a miscarriage or if it was um, MMD that did something to it. Mm-hmm. But I think she would be the type of person to try to take credit for it just to hurt Danny. Yeah, that's what I almost I wonder. I wonder if she at this point she's like, "Hey, bitch, you woke up. I just killed your baby. I just killed you. Well, your man's not dead, but he's pretty much a vegetable. Like, peace. I know you're gonna kill me anyways." She's just like, "You know what? Fuck you. Your baby's a piece of shit. Your baby ain't nothing." She's literally lost everything at this point. She didn't have anything to begin with, but she was starting to make a life there with oh, the yeah. Dothraki. She had a husband. They worked things out to where they're really in love. She's having this baby. She's on top of the world. She thinks she's saving people. Yeah. And then boom, upside down. And then she goes out and she's like, oh, I'll take you to your man. And he, she's like, or it's Jorah. He's like, oh, man, he really likes being out in the sun. What? Here's the thing. Jorah, if you're Danny, wouldn't you want to slap Jorah? Oh, it looks, it appears that he really likes the sun. Yeah, he's a vegetable, Jorah. Get over it. Like, don't tell me that he likes the sun and he can't even talk and just staring off in space. Seriously, it's like, Jorah, next time I come out and my husband is a vegetable, you're going to die unless you slit his throat because I do not want to see that. Okay? You're going to make me smother him with a pillow? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> you're going to make me smother the great call with a, pol- a pillow? Seriously. Yeah, Um. and then... Then we have this great ending where she's basically, Jorah's like, oh, she's going to kill herself. She's legitimately walking into the fire. And I mean, everybody else must be thinking the exact same thing. And Danny has such confidence. She's like, this is what I have to do. Now, in the books, um, I believe she has a dream about this. So that's kind of what like is the impetus for her wanting to do this. But in the show, bitch is crazy. Well, also, if you take a look, too, it's not just Jorah that's like, what the heck is she doing? Um, I think it's Jorah who says earlier in the episode, uh, a call is not a call without his horse. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he can't even barely sit upright without yeah. being propped on a rock. He's not going to ride a horse. So a lot of the Dothraki have already left. Oh, yeah. These people who are with her are following her out of just blind loyalty because they're not the type of people who are conditioned to just trust anybody. And they're looking at her because she's just literally pillow suffocated the call. She's out there like, just trust me. I was a slave chick that got married to call Drogo. I mean, these people have really no reason to trust her. Everything that (laughs) she's touched is like ruined. Oh yeah, totally. And then they're watching her walk into a fire. They're probably like thinking, man, I should have left with the last ones. Like, what the hell was I thinking? Who am I going to follow? This guy, Jorah? No. They're probably thinking that they're done for because what are they going to do? Seriously. Although you got to admit, it's pretty badass to walk into a fire when someone's like, oh, I'm not going to scream. And then she's like, oh, oh, and then you're like, I'm a boss. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't even hurt. Yeah, I, that was painful to hear somebody getting burned alive. Um, another thing that's different in the books, which is not very spoilery at all, but um, when she comes out of the funeral pyre, her skin is not touched at all, just like in the show, but her, her hair is like burnt down like like a burn victim, literally. So I think for the first little while, she like literally has barely any hair, which would have been so crazy to see Amelia Clark like... <laughs> basically like a burn victim on her head yeah well you got to make people fun to watch and nobody wants to see like someone that you feel sorry for because they look like they're in such pain (laughs) yeah seriously um but yeah and then we have these three dragons and oh my god like that very end scene i've watched this this episode specifically so many times and oh my god it gets me emotional still the thing that i keep like coming back to and I don't know exactly how it all fits together but I really just feel like there is something to they they keep talking about you know um uh one life for another or that's the cost of a life 
Yeah. And she loses her baby. She loses Call Drogo. And then Mary Mazdur. Could those be the three sacrifices sacrifices that hatch the egg? I think so. Yes. I don't know how you could think it wouldn't be. Like, what else is bringing these dragons back? I mean, they've been sitting on a fire. It's not like a funeral fire is really that much more hot than anything else that they've been extreme to, you know? And people for generations have been trying to bring these dragons back. Like, the last one was, what, 300 years ago? And these are the only dragons in existence that we know of and that anyone knows of. Mm -hmm. Even, I think, uh, at another part of the episode... um, back john's bannerman were saying that they used to follow the dragons but there are no dragons anymore mm-hmm. so yeah and that was I, that was 300 years ago so at that point that's when they came over and then conquered and then shortly after that they uh they conquered the north and then shortly after that all the dragons started becoming deformed and little dogs just like we learned from her brother you know episode three or whatever and um yeah this is a huge freaking deal and not only that but you know not only do we have dragons but She's not touched by that fire. I mean, that has to be a religious moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a payoff for seeing um, the rest of the season as she's in the water and she's not burnt by the water and she's not burnt by the fire and heat doesn't bother her. And now you see that she is a real Targaryen and um, it wasn't her brother that was the true... What did she say when he got the the crown of gold? You're not a true dragon. Mm-hmm. Dragons aren't burnt or whatever she yeah. said. But then you realize, okay, I see who the real dragon is. And let's can we please fast forward to season two? Yes. Oh, my God. Let's not wait a year. Hashtag, that's what we did. Uh, back in the day, times were rough. If you're watching this for the first time, first count your blessings. <laughs> Netflix, <laughs> you know, like, oh, binge an entire uh, seven seasons in a week. Go crazy. Yes, please. That's me. Um, yeah, I... What else can be said about the scene, though? It's just amazing. Um, And it gets you freaking pumped for the next season. So now that we've kind of talked about the end, let's go back and talk about the beginning. So, man, this scene kind of where we're just coming up on ice, it's dripping with Ned's blood. We kind of zone out and there's this little bit of bokeh where we we can't see kind of what's going on in the background. But then all of a sudden we see... um, I, is it Peter Baelish or um, who is it that like takes the head of Ned and was like swinging it around? Arya is just like, oh my God, it's such a surreal moment. We feel like we're in Arya's body and we see Sansa completely just like pass the fuck out. Like she could yeah. broke her neck. That's how hard she just is fainted on the ground. And we see this, the crowd of people going nuts. And um, we have Yorin who is like, hey, fucking, how do you talk, boy? you're a stupid boy, aren't you? And she's like, not catching on. He's like, fucking cutting your hair. Like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And it's at that point where you're like, oh my God, like their lives are changing like crazy. And I think it's a two, it's a true testament to Ned's reputation that um, here Euron is, and he doesn't know really what's going on. He's been at the wall. So he's down there just on a, basically a mission. He sees Ned, announced that he's a traitor which ned was lying to protect his kids Mm -hmm. sees ned get his head chopped off but he knows enough about ned that maybe he doubts this enough to protect Arya and and bring her and uh you know come up with this plan to get her out of there even though for all he knows ned really truly could be a traitor so interesting that um that he's able to see through that lie and oh, the, yeah. these people here don't because they're not used to any northerners. Or they could give a shit, I think is what it really comes down to. I mean, everybody is basically out for themselves and they don't care who it is. And the public themselves, they just are thirsty for blood, too, because they're beat down. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, some fucking noble from the north. Yeah, fuck you. He should get his head cut off. They don't know any better. Um, You know, speaking about all of this, though. Speaking about Arya and getting her hair cut off, I know that we had talked a little bit about what we thought the theme was, but do you want to elaborate a little bit of what you think it is? To me, there were a lot of um, character transformations in this episode. We could see what the character arc of these people were from the beginning of the season to the end. 
Um, since we're talking about Arya, I think Arya's is pretty obvious. She's goes from being this little girl who is in a in a situation where she comes from a noble family and goes down and she's able to train with the best swordsmen and her dad is a hand of the king. And by the end of the last episode, she is running for her life. Her dad's basically a traitor in everyone's eyes and she has to hide in order to get back home. Um, there's a lot of transformation stories. Uh, probably the most obvious is the one we just talked about with Daenerys. She goes from being this slave girl traded and sold to marry this call and then she hops in. I mean, in she's the- not really a slave girl, but she's basically a slave to her brother. So, yeah. yeah. And she hops in the funeral pyre and comes out reborn as the mother of dragons. Uh, there's lots of other uh, examples in this episode. You have Rob, who is a boy at the beginning of season one. And by the end, he is. Proclaimed king the king the yeah. by all of the bannermen of the north who are refusing to serve Jeff- Joffrey. Um, Tyrion is another one that's changed. We can get into that later. Uh, we see these characters really start to take shape, and a lot of the shapes that they're ending up taking are far, far from uh, how they began in the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yet, yeah, speaking of transformations, you know, we have Sansa. Maybe it's not transformation, but so much more like realizing the truth, right? Seeing the truth of their situation. Like we have Bran too, that both of these characters, Bran and Sansa, right before this, they're like, well, I'm very self-centered. You know, it's all about me, 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 me with Bran. Oh, my legs aren't working. Oh, no, everyone's leaving. Everyone's going south. Why can't I go? I want to be a knight. Sansa, uh, I, well, Dad, can you just hurry up? Because I want to be the princess. I want to be the queen. And then it's like, oh, hey, Sansa, guess what? How does it feel to look at your dad's head on a stake? How does it feel to be a prisoner? How does it feel to get fucking beat by everybody? I think for Sansa, um, her ideas are transformed. At the beginning of the season, she has these ideals that everything is going to be a fairy tale. And then that is ripped from her by the end. And I mean, she has a like season, I mean, episode eight, seven, she's like coming to terms with like, wait, this isn't supposed to happen. And by the end of this season, she's like, totally realizes that she's in a horrible situation mm-hmm. and she's betrothed to a monster. Yeah. Oh, it's not like the fairy tales. And Bran, Bran, uh, we think he's like got some clairvoyant powers uh, and Rickon, and you're not really sure where they're going, but he's been showing these signs that... Well, and he's definitely transformed into an adult too, probably too early for his time. You know, if he had his legs, I think maybe it would be a little bit of a different story, but, you know, he has this crippling event sorry for the pun but where he's like literally has to come up with the terms of i will never walk in a society where this is a huge effing deal and then on top of that like coming to the terms of like oh okay um i have a little bit of clairvoyancy going on but at the same time like my my father's dead like everything that we have been talking about to come of being like oh i'm a whiny little brat my dad's just gonna go down there and they're not coming back like yeah they're not coming back and what does that mean for you so, yeah, it's uh, pretty intense. You know, going back to Arya as well, she grew up, you know, basically wanting to be the knight, kind of a little bit like um, Bran, you know, wanting to be the knight, wanting to go uh, with her father and go off on this extravagant and get battles and get all the glory. And now it's like she gets to see what that's really like. You get to see what it's like on the road. You get to see what it is fighting for your life. And it's transformative because, once again, her childhood, goodbye. Like... When you are on the road and you are possibly going to get raped, possibly going to get killed, you don't know if you're going to have a meal. Like you're with a bunch of other kids that are rapers, stealers, murderers. Like, oh, this is a little bit different than uh, the King's Court. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of tack on to what you said, Euron is there recruiting people to go to the wall. Those are rapers, murderers. I mean, it's not good standing citizens. Those are people that are the society's trash. And here's Arya thrown into that. She comes from privilege. She doesn't know that. And she's learning that she's (laughs) getting the school of hard knocks for sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay, speaking of the school of hard knocks, uh, can it get any more fucked up than your husband-to-be leading you out into the hallway and being like, you know what I want you to do? 
look at your dead father straight in the eye as long as it pleases me. That to me is when I was like, this guy is the absolute worst piece of garbage. Oh, I was just. Well, and lest you be reminded right before this, he's like, oh, yeah. What do you like more, your fingers or your tongue? Yeah. he. If you had any questions about who Joffrey was before this episode, it was very clear by the end of this episode. Well, and it's evolved, too, because it's definitely more, like, sadomasochistic. Like, he before is, like, more just, like, about power. And now he's he's about torture. Yeah. And um, I just keep thinking back about uh, his dad. Robert on his deathbed saying, I wish I would have, I wish I would have spent more time with you because it proves that who was the bigger influence? Not that Robert was a great guy, but definitely he's the mama's boy. He's Cersei's boy. Well, and it's almost like everything that she wanted him to be flipped on its side. You know, she wanted him to be kingly. She wanted him to, you know, basically get them further and be a Lannister. And he turned into this monster and it's at the it's very clear. I mean, we we hear from Tywin, I need you to go there and control that boy because he's run a fucking muck. I mean, is if Aerys Tar if Aerys Targaryen is the mad king, like this is the mad prince, like Oh, he's king now and make no mistake. But how about that Sansa clapback when he's like, Maybe I'll have your brother's head and she's like, Or maybe he'll give me yours. And he's just like, Woo! Yeah, oh, I love that. Round of applause for you, Sansa. And that's not going to come out of my mouth very often. <laughs> Seriously. Um, you know, one other thing that I think is great about that scene is we have where she basically gets smacked by, um, you know, Joffrey's like, oh, well, my mom tells me I shouldn't hit women. And then he's like, must so hit her. Marin Trant. Yeah. And um, she's like looking down the ground. She's like, I'm going to push him off the ground. And you, I get the feeling, and I, I don't know about you, but that she's just going to grab him and jump off with him, kill herself, kill him, end it all, get revenge, which, you know, honestly, I think might be the honorable thing to do. And then we have the hound come up, and he's like, hey, wipe the blood off your face. And that kind of reality checks her. And I think this is the step, talking about transformation. This is where Sansa goes from being a Stark into someone who's going to try and survive in King's Landing because every other person we go and see Master Pycelle, you know, he's like, Oh, I'm old and senile. And Ross is like, and what was the point? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. And then she gets out and he's like, crackers his back. And he's like doing, you know, crazy exercises. <laughs> he's like, yeah, in order to survive at King's Landing, you need to be witty. You need to be planning your stuff. And you know what? Honor doesn't get you anywhere. Very true. And Sansa is trying to do whatever she can to survive. She fainted a few minutes ago, but I think in that moment you see that she's made the decision that, okay, what do I need to do to survive this? And I didn't really take it. I know it's up for debate. I've read several things where people were thinking that maybe she was going to jump, but I don't think it was that because I, and actually I don't think that she was going to kill herself i think she was just gonna push him off i mean i would want to push him down yeah. too but when you see the hound grab her to prevent that like if she missed a step and like did not get joffrey <laughs> off of that thing or even if she did she's dead you, anyways yeah, yeah she's dead anyway that's so, why i think she does she would <clears throat> the hound pretty much saves her life and um it, here's an interesting tie back not to go back to the to the Danny thing, but he saves her life and it goes back to what is a life worth? You know, maybe she was going to commit suicide there, just say for instance, but that would be because her life wouldn't be worth anything in that situation. And the same thing with Danny um, and her conversations with MMD is what is, what, uh, what did my baby, you know, why did my baby die for, for what? And what is a life worth? If Khal Drogo is, it's not a call if you can't ride his horse. And Mary Mazdur also is like, you know, what is my life worth? All the people I love are dead. I've been raped. Every, you know, the boy that ba that I taught to whatever is dead. <laughs> Everybody's dead. Yeah. You know, what is a life worth? So I just thought that was an interesting uh, tie-in. 
Yeah, totally. Like, what do you do when you have reached literally rock bottom? You're a prisoner of war. And like literally someone's telling you, oh, hey, I'm going to pump a baby into you and I'm a monster and I'm going to raise him to be a monster and I'm going to find everyone you love and I'm going to kill them and I make you watch and like it. Yeah, Cersei and Robert, she had a time where she was in love with him. But what what is that worth? All the years that she just drank herself to death because she was miserable and humping her brother and her cousin. Oh, God. (laughs) Speaking of, I just got to get this out of the way. Like, if it was not gross enough that she's fucking her brother when she's fucking Lancel, like, it's so, like, screaming, like, to me, like, pedophilia. Like, he's, like, so skinny completely hairless like oh yeah um grosses me out and finding neverland finding circe's land so circe finds out about jamie's capture and meanwhile lancel's in the bed with her why is it that this episode where when you see jamie He's having this conversation with Catelyn and she's trying to find out like what happened? Why did Bran get pushed out the window? And Jamie's being real. He's leveling with her. He's like, I did. I wanted to kill him. Um, but it didn't work out. And he protects he's he's brutally honest. And that's one thing that I think this kind of builds on Jamie because until now we don't see Jamie without uh, someone. You see Jamie in relationship to his sister or to his dad or to Tyrion. Um, but you don't see Jamie by himself. And so this is casting Jamie in a different light. And he's almost a little bit like a philosopher. He talks to Catelyn about, you know, where were your gods? Uh, where were your trees? They weren't protecting Ned when he got his head chopped off. And he talks about, you know, the darkness is coming for everyone. Now, don't get me wrong. He's a super dick. He makes little jokes that aren't funny about her being a widow. But in the end of the day, if you look at what he said, he's honest. He's very um, honorable and that he's not a liar. But well, So it's interesting that you say that because I think that so Jamie is raised in Lannister and we, we find out through a couple of the last episodes and also this episode, like Tywin really is only concerned about Jamie. He could kind of give a fuck about Tyrion and Cersei. Yeah. I kind of only care about you because you were kind of how I got access to the throne. Right. But in reality, he cares about Jamie and Jamie has been growing up knowing he's a Lannister knowing how to act as Lannister, acting entitled, knowing that the Starks are, you know, kind of enemies of the Lannisters, yada, yada, yada. And he acts this way this entire time. But then as soon as he's out of all of that and he's around the Starks, he almost has this like, oh, this is what real honor is. This is like what real people that aren't scheming fucking bastards are like. And I think he has a moment of confession of like, Oh, whoa. I've never even spoken this truth to my dad. I I can't even tell him my sister is lying to me, you know? So here he has a complete stranger, Catelyn. And I think he, you know, had a mutual respect for Ned, even though he ended up kind of causing all of this nightmare. And I think he has a moment where he can be real because he's kind of seen, oh, this is my life and this is my consequence. And am I going to be truthful to the end or am I just going to be a lion's sack of shit the entire time? I'd see where you're going with that. I read it a different way. I read it as he still kind of thought that he's better than them. And maybe that's at this point in time, maybe that's why he felt like he could be honest because it didn't matter because they're beneath him or they they haven't figured out how to play the game. So you know, they're no threat to him. And I also saw it as maybe he just wanted to, it seemed like he wanted Catelyn to hurt him, to, you know, kill him. But um, to the end of, to, through it all, he was protecting Cersei. He told the truth up until the part where uh, he could have said, oh, it's because my sister and I were having sex and that's why your kid got pushed out the window. He's protecting her. But here she is, already on to the next 
family member. She's so gross, but I love to hate her. Don't you want to want to hate Cersei? And did you notice too? Okay, so Cersei's been grooming um, Joffrey poorly because he won't even listen to her. But already Sansa and Cersei have the same hair that I need to talk to your manager. Mm-hmm. Hair. The braids. Of of King's Landing, but I I need to talk to your manager, King's Landing hairstyle. Yeah, because she's taking on the part. She's doing what she needs to in order to become this person who can survive. And she knows the game. While she's not very good at it because she's just started playing it and having that reality check, like, she's going to play it because she knows she needs to or she's going to die. How do you think things will change when Tyrion takes the place of Hand of the King? I mean, I think a lot of things are going to change, but in regards to Sansa specifically or just everything? In general. Well, I think that Tyrion is going to be playing the long game. And we already know that him and his sister don't get along very well. But they need to work together in order to control the Mad Prince, as I like to call him, Joffrey. And I think that they are going to need to manipulate Sansa more because no one's um, buying the oh, um, could just come and do this. They need to be a little bit more, um, you know, the finer details is what they need to kind of alter and do that. And they need to get Sansa on their side. And so I think the only way they're going to be able to do that is with the wit of Tyrion. But we all know that, you know, Joffrey and Tyrion do not have a great history. I mean, last time we saw them together, they were in Winterfell. And I'm pretty sure that Tyrion just smacked the crap, just like we saw Sansa get snapped. What did the five fingers say to the face? Yeah. Slap. And um, so I don't think this is going to be the best power dynamic. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to see. I mean, God knows uh, George R. R. Martin has a little bit of something up his sleeve. And I'm sure it's not going to be uh, too sh- surprising what happens. But I know it's probably not going to be really happy and positive. Yeah, I think Tyrion's major uh, issue that he's going to has- have to get his grasp on is going to be controlling Joffrey. And I don't think he's going to be worried too much about Sansa. She's going to fall in line. And um, also, he has this expectation now that his father is considering him as a son for the first time. So he's going to want to live up to his father's expectations. I mean, this is his opportunity, I think, to impress his father. And I think that's something that even though he knows that his father has always treated him Poorly, I think it's just natural for a son to want to step in and please their father. But, you know, I think that's something that he's not used to. And I have a feeling that what makes Tyrion so great is that no one does have a great expectation of him. It's kind of like Rob. Why is he such a military genius? Because no one's expecting anything of him. Why Why do we think that Tyrion's so great? Because no one expects anything of him. So he is free to read books and do whatever. And you look at him and you're like, oh, you're an imp. And he's like, well, actually, this, this, this. Oh, my God, you're brilliant. But when you were in the position of King's Landing, Hand of the King, like you have a certain expectation and your father has expectations through the roof. He probably didn't think anyone was doing a good job at Hand of the King. So let's see how he does with that. And if he the pressure of that crumbles and falls and lest I remind you, he's bringing that fucking horde to court. Well, I think. Tyrion really surprised Tywin with his military strategies. And I don't doubt that for one second, but I do believe that Tywin's played the game much longer and he's still using that to manipulate Tyrion. I mean, the first thing that he said was, they have my son. And he wasn't talking about Tyrion. He was talking about Jaime. And that's why he's staying out there on the battlefield because he knows that the war is going to be long and he wants to save his only son that he really cares about well and why does he only care about him remember we talked about this in this other episode the family legacy that's what tywin is all about is that this lineage is going to last a thousand years and it's not going to happen with Tyrion. well it's definitely not going to happen with joffrey and he's uh, i just want tywin to get to king's landing go to town on joffrey because um okay so the starks have jamie and here they have a negotiation tool with Ned and Joffrey is so just stupid. He just is like, yeah, they have the soft hearts of women just cut off his head. Like, do you understand that you've just sacrificed your uncle's life 
Well, he doesn't give a shit about family. Well, he doesn't. They're give, two walls to him. He he doesn't care about anything. No. He's power hungry, and he's like you said, a masochist. Mm-hmm. Totally. But I digress. Let's talk about John. <laughs> My favorite masochist. Just kidding. I love him. So we thought last uh, episode, as I clearly stated four hundred times, that John had a conversation with Maester Eamon about commitment and duty, and we realized this episode that. His mind was not completely made up because then he totally did a 180 and was like on his way to do whatever it took to, I don't know. He was revenge. He wanted revenge. And at the end of the day, like he wasn't going to do anything because really, what was he going to do? But I mean, he's still what what the hell are you going to do? But when you find out your dad has died, that makes that anger and grief and revenge thirst just a little bit higher. I'm going to guess. Yeah. And um. Just like you saw Rob just like totally laying into the tree with his sword and everybody's dealing with this in their own way. But John's completely displaced. He didn't have uh, his mom or sister or anything. And I mean, I guess Rob's the only one that (laughs) had somebody. But um, tell me that this wasn't the best part of it. Sam just totally biting the dust on that tree limb. Oh my god! So I don't know if you watched. I think it's in the special features, or maybe I just was reading about it. But the person that um, plays Sam for the stunt audible is actually a woman, and she's dressed up like Sam, right? And they have a a power generator outage, and so it's actually that dark, like no one could see anything. And she accidentally hit that tree branch, and they kept it in, so that was what? not even supposed to be there. Oh, God bless and her. And she had a concussion, had to get stitches. But oh, well, <laughs> anyway, just ruined that happy story. Great television, though. It made me it made me giggle. I I did really like it though. I I do think that you know this is definitely. I'm excited for dragons. You know, season two coming out. I'm excited for dragons, but I'm really excited about John. And we hear this time, you know, he comes back and uh, basically his commander's like, yeah, you know what? Quit freaking out. People go and fuck wars all the time. I'm not gonna fucking you know kick you out of the night's watch and behead you. Just get your shit together, but uh, get your shit together because we're riding north, and this is what John's wanted since he started. And that's John's transformation. He went from what are they called that he's making the bed, and now he's a ranger steward. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And he gets to go and have a chance to find his uncle, and in a time where your father is dead, this is the last semblance of family, and for that part of the family that you might have. Very true. So, and perhaps we find out a little bit about his uh. His mother because we know that his father's not going to say shit now yeah but we don't know even if his brother or his uncle his dad's brother even knows mm-hmm. so but there's a chance there is a chance and i think uh have we covered everything before the spoilers or yeah you know the only other thing i wanted to say is peter baelish and um varus have a pretty good exchange that i think is pretty awesome um obviously oh. you guys have watched it but man another one for for uh against peter like every time varus is like oh do you imagine what's between my legs do you often think about it like i can't believe i forgot about that part i love it i love a good clap back yeah seriously but yeah other than that pretty good episode there's a lot to it um a lot to unpack cannot wait for this next season um and you know what actually before we we sign off on this part and go into spoilers let's just talk about season one overall um yeah, I think we kind of have just uh, talked about the character arcs of all these people and their transformations. Um, the only thing that I can add that <clears throat> I didn't add earlier, we just kind of got off, but one cool thing that I noticed is um, certain characters that have been pretty one-dimensional have been highlighted. Like you, like I mentioned earlier, Jamie. He's been always uh, as a duo or a trio with someone else and you're getting to see this light of jamie um not light you get to see jamie we know how you feel about jamie you get to see jamie under a spotlight where it's just him but jamie i can see your halo (laughs) beyonce baby you must save and grace oh what if we put beyonce jamie and some more (laughs) seriously sick out of my face i'm impressed that you even know this song Kind of. Can I say that you know it? <laughs> Jamie Press push Brent out of a window. <laughs> okay, I'm done. 
I don't even know how I can like uh, move on from that, but I'll try in the spoilers. Awesome. So that's it for the spoiler free section. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different next week. We know you guys have been holding in there tight with us every week. We go through a new episode. This is the end of season one. So instead of starting back up and doing season two, we only have a little bit until season eight premieres. What we're going to do is we're going to do a recap episode of everything from one to seven, our favorite moments and what we want to see coming out of season eight, some predictions, maybe some conspiracy theories that we've heard um, and kind of unpack that. And then after that episode, that is when we are going to start launching Game of Thrones season eight, episode one. And we're going to be trying to do it a little different than we have done in the past. Usually we would watch that episode then we would go and we'd process a little bit, watch it again by ourselves, take notes, and then do it. We're actually going to be trying to do a podcast literally the night after we watch this. So we're going to try to get to you the following Monday. If we are able to do that, we will do it. If we can't, expect a great podcast sometime in the middle of the week. <laughs> never say never. Regardless, that's it for this week's episode. As always, if you want to hear some spoilers, stay tuned after the outro music. And as always, I'm Corey. M&L. And be perfectly honest. And you've made it to the spoiler section. Anel. Oh my gosh. I have so much I want to talk about. Where do we start? I mean... Let's start with these dragons. How many damn seasons do we... Look, that end of... The end of season one promised us dragons and then we got lizards you were bamboozled for six seasons until these things got big enough i mean to be let's be honest though i mean we are on we aren't to be perfectly honest let's be honest all of season two i'm fine with them dragons being fucking small but then season three i better get some bigger dragons and they better do some shit and it took too fucking long and then like for a while they're just fucking they're eating some fucking cattle i'm like bitch what the fuck I was promised dragons. Yeah. I want dragons. They're finally here, though. Thank God for season eight. Um, You know, we had that. We have a lot of stuff that is like just kind of crazy. Like, I mean, Joffrey's going hard out of the gate psychopath. I mean, like literally everybody should be like, um, so are you going to poison him? No. OK, well, I'll do it. If I was seriously i'd want to poison Joffrey. literally he's already like it's like wah, 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 wah. like seriously he's going to kill you he's either going to find out that you fucked your brother and kill you or he's just going to fucking murder everybody because he's insane he's like he could literally not be any more creeper the only thing he could do to be more creepier would be like sitting in the corner jerking it Tywin. that guy getting his tongue cut out tywin needs to do it Grandpa oh, yeah. needs to come in and wreck shop. <laughs> oh, he did. Seriously. Um, you know, we have John and Sam like. Still, when, when are these guys going to fucking wake the fuck up? You're going north of the wall. It's not. Oh, oh, uh, we're going to go out on a little ride. Oh, oh, oh. Like Jesus, like Alistair Thorne is right. Man, the fuck up. There's another way I was your, bamboozled. Your dick's going to get fucking frostbite. All of these promises that uh, what it's not George, George's dad. What's his name? Oh, you are. You are. Uh, <laughs> ah, I hate his name. Joe's daddy, Senor Mormont. Yes. Uh huh. All Easy. the promises that he made, we were bamboozled until season seven. All of these, we're gonna go out. We're gonna do this. We're gonna uh, season seven. They should. There should be a fast track. Okay. Do you choose your own adventure? Do you want a million other seasons or do you want to get to the juicy part? Oh, how do you think people like reading the books, Phil? Oh, I heard. <laughs> They're I like, heard what? The books I mean, I shouldn't say that. I enjoyed the process, but in retrospect, oh, I had some serious expectations for season two and somehow well, I the- didn't notice how long I was being strung along until yes. I got to season seven and I'm like, okay, now I have big dragons. And now I have the uh, Beyond you, the Wall Roadshow. The thing, though, is you have these expectations because it goes off the bat like crazy right from the get-go. Season one, if it like I said before, if this was any other show, Ned would be alive until season three. And then they get chopped set off. Like, 
we get right out of the gate and we're like, okay, this is the end of the season. We got dragons. We got Ned dead. We have this set it up. We have Rob's the king of the north now. There's a war. Like, but then we get a lot of sidetrack. We got a lot of wrenches thrown into things. And don't get me wrong. I love it. It's just, oh my God, if you only know <laughs> to begin with how frustrating. But I mean, hey, we've watched it. I love it. Like, what can you do? Yeah, um, we'll be watching season two again eventually and review that too. Now, there's a couple questions that definitely stand out in my mind. One of the biggest ones on this one, and we talked a little bit about it in the non-spoiler section, but what do you think would have actually happened if Sansa would have either A, grabbed um, Joffrey and jumped off with him, killed herself, killed him, or just pushed him off? That probably would have been our fast track to season seven, actually. <laughs> and you're done. That's the secret handshake, you know? Kill Joffrey and fast forward to dragons. I don't know. Um, I know that there probably would have been um, more focus on Stannis or Rinley mm -hmm. because with Joffrey gone, I mean, would they have just gone to Tommen? Who knows? Yeah, seriously. I mean, we kind of needed Joffrey to prepare us for Ramsey. Yeah, this is very true. Just like we needed Ned to get executed to prepare us for the Red Wedding. Yeah, definitely. You know, in hindsight, we we do this with a lot of episodes, and this is kind of off the cuff, so forgive me. But um, we usually have a theme for a lot of the episodes. If you had to have a theme for the first season, and in retrospect, knowing what we see kind of later on, what would you say the theme would be? Just for season one? Just season one. Things aren't as they seem. And that's off the cusp. That's like you asking me and me coming up with something, hey. but... What you doing? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think mine is just like acknowledging the truths. Like, I think everybody is now, okay, this is what life is. Like, we're not pussyfooting around. We're not popping circumstance. And yeah, the Lancers, we fucking hate you. Yeah, the Starks, we're going to fucking kill you. Oh, you, uh, you talking about treason? Yeah, we're going to chop off your head. Like... Oh, hey, uh, you think you're up in the north to make some friends and have a little giddy time? Mm, nope, because you're traveling north now. Danny? Oh, yeah. Um, you think uh, you're going to be able to just, you know, conquer and sit on the Iron Throne and not have to do any work? Nope, you're going to have to sacrifice everything you love and hatch some fucking dragons. I don't even think she wanted to take the throne until after her transformation. No, she, I think it's a foreign concept. It's just a goal that they have had so long that, you know, is put in her lap. But yeah, she eventually does want it, though. I mean, she's thirsty for it. You know, what was interesting to me, and um, I'm glad I remember this in the spoilers, but when Bran went down to the crypts with Asha, he just casually mentions, oh, and this was the Mad King's son and blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, burned them all. And then <laughs> it does a complete... Um, recap of that with his daughter Danny at the end she's like in a she hops in a fire and it's very um, much a reminder of okay these Targaryens can get cray and I think it's also highlighted by what um, Mary Mazdur was saying she's like you know you, what's life worth you, you look what you did to me you think you saved me like mm, you're wrong and she's Mary's not wrong. No. It's just all perspective. Danny's like, look what you did to my life. And I mean, honestly, they were kind of did the same thing to each other. I mean, just all in perspective. Yeah. You know, when you were just talking, I was thinking about the theme of this episode and what we had said it was before. And I was just thinking of the title. And so it's blood and fire. And these are the Targaryen house motto, right? But this episode really is about blood and fire. It's about blood, losing family, fighting for family, like fighting for your dynasty, fighting for the people around you in your city, in your house, and fire, like cleansing fire, rebirth, um, you know, revitalization, transformation. Mm -hmm. And I think this kind of goes for this entire, you know, this is the very the cherry on top of this entire season. So I guess you could be saying this is also the theme for the season. Definitely. Okay, so 
let's get back into some questions. Now, I got a couple that are kind of crazy. So do you have any more normal ones? Oh. Before I go too far down the Matt Barnes hole? Any, <laughs> any questions? Yes. Anything that's been popped up in your mind that we couldn't talk about in the non-spoiler section? I don't think of... I don't think I have any questions besides... You got a comment for me, girl? <clears throat> well, I have a couple of Searcy ones. Okay. Shoot. So, Jamie, has he ever cheated on Searcy that we've seen in this whole series? No. And Searcy is up... And Lancel, uh... Did you become a faith militant and start working out at the same time? Because yes, well, are... no, it's like I told you though. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Like what, what I was getting from that is that he's like 15, like he's prepubescent. He does not have pubes, literally. <laughs> but when he's a when he's a faith militant, when he's yeah. one of those, he had a little more meat on his bones. Oh yeah, because he's not 15. What he's is he 16? This has not been like over the course of years. Mm, I think and years it's two years. years later. I mean, he's gone through puberty. Yeah. I don't. I don't have brothers, so I don't know. I mean, yes, but also the timeline is shaky at best, as we know this. But yeah, I, I, I think that's what they're making it out to be. That this is clearly her being a fucking weirdo and being like, oh, I want comfort sexually because that's how I have re- You know, I need to be needed. And then it's like, oh, but I'm only gonna do it with my family. Do you think that Jamie um, being captured by the Starks, do you think that has any effect on him um, and his character arc over the seasons? Because I know you'd mentioned it before. It wouldn't have happened, I don't think. You think that was the start of it? I think you have to have this clear representation of what honor is in these tough situations and have it away from everybody else. It's kind of like you know the kid in high school that... They're around a bunch of douchey fucking other kids and they're a piece of shit and they kind of suck. And then they get out in the real world and they're away from those friends and they go, oh, like, here's the role model I have. And they they transform themselves like they're not the piece of shit kid anymore because they're a product of their environment and they have a chance to see really what it's like with someone who does have honor, who someone is a, a good role model. And I think that's what's happening to him. I think it's kind of flown in his face of. Oh, you you think we're just dumb hick Starks up here, but look what we're able to do. You think we're just going to have a little rebellion? Why do you think Robert's rebellion ended well? Because all the North joined in. Interesting. Interesting take. You know I love me some Jamie, so I'm like, get some good influence on you, Jamie. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, if he if he wasn't captured here, it would have happened later. Um, and I know there are some scenes from the book that, um, like this part actually happens a little bit later on, I believe. And they might've like separated into two halves or something. I don't think Catelyn actually talks to him right now. It's later on that she does. But, um, yeah, I mean, he has some good, he has some good freaking points. Like, and he's talking sense to Catelyn who at that point is just like losing her shit, her and her son. I mean, good thing they're out in the woods doing this because, Holy shit, can you imagine being around these people and being like, are are we still fighting the war? <laughs> Rob, are you okay? <laughs> well, Jamie was like, where were your trees? And then you see that scene of, of Rob going <laughs> Rob to cut them all. <laughs> Rob cut them all down in a rage. Yeah, seriously. But it's almost like Jamie did a reverse Sansa because Sansa is like raised to be a goody goody in fairy tales and she's seeing like a very different side of the world and she's learning how to survive. And I think that Jamie's always had it in him to kind of respect honor and loyalty, but just like you said, product of his environment. Mm -hmm. And now that's changed. It hasn't changed him yet, but he's seeing this other side, just like Sansa seeing this other side and it's changing them. It's making them more uh, of around. Yeah. Well, and it's like you, the ultimately the person you are comes from within, right? You can be the son of a, you know, a serial killer. And that doesn't mean you're going to be like that. But you're saying Sansa's always been like secretly. Yeah. I think that's a witch. I mean, ultimately, like, look, you look at everybody else, right? Essentially, all the other Starks are like, what do you want to do? They're like, I want to be a knight. I want to be blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I want to be a princess. And I want to go to King's Landing. Like, even though subconsciously she probably 
does know that she wants this. She doesn't really know that. Yeah, she she wants to play the Game of Thrones. She wants to be the queen. And well, we see that later mm-hmm. on. I think, too, you see the Cersei manager hair and the Sansa manager hair, and you realize that Cersei's been grooming her from the very beginning. And I think that makes more sense when you fast forward to season seven and you see the things that Sansa is capable of. And it's not Sansa that we know from season one. It's Mm -hmm. Sansa that's learned what she's learned from being around Peter Baelish and being around Cersei and seeing Joffrey and watching her father you know, his head on a spike. And mm-hmm. um, it's very, very interesting to see Sansa again as an innocent. Yeah, definitely. You know, speaking of Starks and spoilers, um, do you think that, uh, so we have Bran obviously is able to warg. He's obviously a green seer. Do you think uh, his younger brother Reckon is also both able to warg and be a green seer? I mean, they're having the same prophetic dreams. Shaggy Dog seems to have this weird connection with him. We don't get a lot of it in the series, so I'm wondering what your take is. Because in the books, all the Starks are... Yeah, I got the impression when they're both having those dreams, I was kind of expecting us to see more of a Rickon point of view during the seasons. And I think it's one of those things where they just kind of left it open to see where it went. Because when this series started... For television, George R. R. hadn't finished the book, so I think they maybe thought that things were going to get more Rickon-centric or there was going to be a larger storyline for him, and it just didn't pan out. But, I mean, ultimately, I enjoy the way that it is, but um, seeing Rickon for a few episodes and then seeing how he can't dodge a arrow was kind of a disappointment. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Speaking of seeing the future, I mean, I know this is unpopular, but fuck the yacht. (laughs) Right? Jesus Christ. Am am I your brother now and always? Oh, yeah. Now until next season. Yeah, totally. He's like the guy in prison that's like, oh, I'm going to be your bitch. Shake, 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 shake. Like, (laughs) thanks, Theon. Love that. Um, Yeah, I, I just cannot. Seriously? Like... This is, and then, you know, speaking of people that betray some people, like Jorah getting a kiss goodbye. Is that when Jorah, like, started having his super? No. Literally the first second he saw her, he was like, boing. He was like, oh, she's naked now. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. She got burned in a fire, but. Shit. All I can see is her naked body. And now. Can you imagine, though, like, having a hard on for this chick and then she's like giving birth and pops out a lizard scaled baby with wings that <laughs> should be flash your first, fall off the bones that should be your first red flag you're like girl that's a weird vcd that i don't need he's like he's like those guys that are like yeah i know she's crazy but she's so hot he literally no that's seriously but i mean <laughs> <laughs> i mean she just burned down the septa so I mean, it's not that bad, right? That that would have been Tommen. Marjorie could have done no wrong in his eyes. And then he watches the set burn up and Marjorie's in there and he's like, and Timber out yeah, the window. Seriously. Um, so then you know, speaking of speaking, let's talk about the night's watch. And then I think this is the last thing that I have really have to talk about for this. We have another great chance to hear those amazing vows and now can you do your best recantation of that oh i don't know the words to the vows but i knew it was another opportunity to bring up hey um this is only till you die john so once <coughs> you die <coughs> yeah you know any kind of you see it so clearly now it's like did because john trying to go awol didn't really go anywhere and where could it have gone i mean he has to be at the wall but it did give another opportunity for us to hear that oath again. Hey, remember, it's only till death. So Ollie's going to hook that up. Oh, Real quick. <laughs> yeah, seriously. For the watch. Seriously. You know, another thing, speaking of this night watch, just really quick here. Did you hear when they say that at East Watch, they found four blue-eyed corpses, but they were smart enough to burn them? 
Yeah, I did. So what do you think is going on here? Because we, we don't really see anything with Eastwatch at all. But what do you think is going on here? Do you think the Night's King is like planning these White's bodies in order to get them? I mean, they're really close, right? Like these White Walkers and these Whites, they're never anywhere close to the wall. But we have this body that's found right close to the, the King's Grove, right? Or the Godswood, rather. And we have Sam and John finding those bodies and they bring them back. And then that's, you know, all hell goes loose. And then we have these four other bodies right next to Eastwatch. Is that what he's trying to do? Well, I, I noticed now, you know, winter's coming through this whole series, but you see like snowflakes in the north already, like season yep. one. And I think it's just kind of a build. I, I mean, I, the, I don't feel like I have enough information to like speculate on what's happening. I don't, I just don't have enough information, but I think it's more designed to let you know, like things are moving. So you see this progressive, like more and more things happening. Was that, where were they at? Wasn't it, was it Eastwatch where we had that episode that was just like where you very first saw the whites and they went ham? I think so. I can't remember though now. We're so far back now. Yeah, but that was like a holy she is episode. Yep. I'm just, it to me is very odd because at this point in the season, right, we don't even have wildlings this close to the wall. So the fact that we have literally whites that close to the wall, well, like we, there has to be a purpose to this. And what have... is the purpose? Is it to have, you know, all of these men bring them forth past the wall they attack all of them and then there's a, a big army that's beyond the wall and then they go and do that well we do have wildlings who are trying to go a wall but have i mean Asha. there's two of them you know not like a group of them well i think it's probably hard to get from point a to point b on the other side of the wall but at this point we have six whites there's six whites right so next to them what if there was a group of 20 and only two made it the rest of them got yeah true it's just interesting, interesting to me. I think already at this point, I think, you know, the side story to this might be that the Night's King is like, I can't get past that wall by my own volition, but you can take them whites and you can move them wherever you want. And if you move them beyond the mall and they take over and there's a zombie apocalypse south of the wall, cool. It's an interesting thought experiment. I know there's not really an answer to that, but I do think like, Hey, it, that that is definitely suspicious, and I can only wonder what would happen if Eastwatcher was like, "Yeah, you know what we should do? Bring these people back, burn them." No, our maester needs to look at them later. Like, well, all of this stuff is happening, and people still are like, mm, "I don't know if I believe in magic." It's like you had dragons in memory, you know, but you guys winter has been that long ago that you don't remember i'm telling you what if zombies really took over the world in 1600 you there would be some there would be some stories mm -hmm. enough to not make you be like did that really happen i don't know yeah totally i'm complaining about a science fiction <laughs> Or this isn't is making fantasy? sense in my brain. Yeah, I'm sure it will all make sense too. We'll just have to see. Um, okay, so I think that's it for this section. Um, you know, I have more to talk about as far as the season overall. I think that we'll talk about in our prediction episode for season eight, which is going to be coming out next week, you guys. That's next Sunday. And that's going to get you pretty much all caught up with our questions and predictions for the new season. Um, and that's going to be the last episode that we are going to be releasing on a Sunday. After that, we're going to be doing the new episodes as they air. And so they air every Sunday. We're going to be watching them on Sunday, recording the podcast on Sunday, and then we're going to try to have them released to you guys Monday. And that way, when you drive to work, you're starting your day, you want to talk to someone about that Game of Thrones episode and everyone around you like, oh, I haven't watched it yet. You can talk with us about it. Um, you never know. There might be, you know, some whites that pop up, shake things up a little bit. We might uh, not get that out right away. And if that's the case, it will be in the middle of the week. But make sure you're subscribed and you'll see it as soon as it is posted. But for this episode, I think we're going to put a bow on it. As always, I'm Corey. I'm Anil. And be perfectly honest. <laughs>